0: Welcome to Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tarmati, where it's all about health optimization, anti-aging, longevity, and being the very best you can be. Brought to you by LisaTarmati.com. Hi everyone, welcome back to Pushing the Limits. This week I am releasing an episode that I actually did a while ago with uh, Dr. Scott Schur, who is an expert on hyperbaric oxygen therapy, but I've been doing a bit of a series on hyperbaric oxygen. Um, obviously a great uh, advocate for this therapy. I have a hyperbaric oxygen therapy clinic in Taranaki, And I'm trying to educate as many people as I possibly can about how wonderful this therapy is, what it does, how it works. And so I thought I would uh, release this episode once again with Dr. Scott Scher. Now, he is a world-renowned expert in hyperbaric medicine um, and is an integrative medicine practitioner as well. And he runs... um, uh, not only his own uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy clinic, but runs a worldwide education, consultancy and advocacy practice. Um, he he does a, a lot of cutting edge stuff and is a very interesting man. So I do hope that you enjoy this episode with Dr. Scott Shear. Um, before we head over to the show, um, we just want to ask if you don't mind doing a survey for me. I've got a survey running at the moment where we're trying to get our listeners to head over to lissetatamati.com um forward slash survey so liarmity dot com forward slash survey fill out a few questions um, it's anonymous, it's just about us collecting some information on what you want to hear what you like about the show um, some questions around health and what you are interested in and all that sort of good stuff so really really appreciate you taking the time to do that and if you are interested in hyperbaric oxygen therapy after listening to this episode or one of the other episodes that I've done on it um, and it's a myriad of benefits and what it can do then please reach out to us, uh, support at Lisa you can find us on that email or you can head over to my website lisatamity.com and uh, go to the section on hyperbaric we're just in the middle of building out a new website for the hyperbaric uh, itself but um, at the moment it's housed under my main website at lisatamati.com so i hope you enjoy this episode with dr scott shir and we'll see you on the other side Well, hi everyone, Lisa Tamady here. I'm very
1: excited to have you uh, on board again today for an exciting episode. I have Dr. Scott Sher with me, who is a hyperbaric specialist uh, from the States, and he is uh, had been on my show before, and he is now coming back on here. It's one of the most popular episodes on the whole show, so I'm really, really excited to have Dr. Scott back, and he's actually sitting in his own hyperbaric chamber right now. And doing the interview from inside his own hyperbaric. So, Dr. Scott, how are you doing? (laughs)
2: I'm doing well. Can you hear me okay, Lisa?
1: Yeah, it's not too bad. We might have to ramp up the volume when we do the editing, but we'll 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 give it a go. See how we go.
2: Okay, sounds good.
1: I'm I'm doing well in your own chamber
2: there. Yes, I'm in my own own chamber. I um I have my own mild hyperbaric unit. Mild hyperbaric therapy is defined as hyperbaric therapy at less than or 1.3 atmospheres or more superficial than that. Um, And so these chambers go to about 15 feet of seawater equivalent. Um, And these chambers are approved for home use. um, And I use them for a lot of different reasons. But personally, I use it for just overall health and wellness, cognitive capacity enhancements, muscle recovery, jet lag, and a couple of other other indications the this chamber is nice because it's a triangular type of chamber which means that you can actually sit up in it and not have to lie down completely and i've been using it a lot these days given pandemics and all those kinds of things and doing my best to stay healthy along with everybody else at least a lot of other people that are not eating junk food all the time
1: (laughs) yeah and we'll get into that a little bit later that yeah um No amount of biohacking will outdo a good diet, uh, bad diet. So we definitely need to um, focus on that. But so, Dr. Scott, so I have my own hyperbaric chamber. I go in it every pretty much, you know, three or four times a week at least. Um, My one goes up to 1.5 atmospheres. And, but you also have a clinic that goes, uh, has um, hyperbaric chambers that go uh, to higher pressures. Can you explain mm-hmm. a little bit the difference between the mild hyperbaric and the, the, the medical grade, if you like, hyperbaric facilities?
2: Yeah, sure. So hyperbaric therapy in the United States is approved for 14 different conditions, and all of those conditions have been studied at two atmospheres or greater. Uh-huh. And so all the medical conditions for hyperbaric therapy cannot be treated in mild hyperbaric units. Um, they can only be treated in, in units that are more medical grade. The medical grade chambers go down. uh, There's different types of medical grade chambers. The most common is called a monoplace or a single unit occupancy chamber. That chamber goes down to somewhere between 2.4 to three atmospheres of pressure. Three atmospheres of pressure is the equivalent of 66 feet of seawater. What's interesting about 66 feet of seawater equivalent is that when they, that's actually where they've done studies showing that at that level, you no longer need red blood cells in circulation to get enough oxygen diffused into the plasma or the liquid of your blood at that level and maintain your physiologic functions. So it's a a significant amount of oxygen that we can get into circulation. And so um, what we're doing in a chamber is obviously driving more oxygen into circulation. And that's kind of like the the quick and dirty of what's happening when you go in there. Um, The hard chambers are typically going down to deeper pressures. Um, two atmospheres or above um, and then the the soft chambers, um, depending on the type of chamber you have, it could go down to one point three some of them go to one point five. It depends on the country and the location. I think what 's more important for people is not the type of chamber really, but because some soft chambers can actually go to very deep pressures, and hard chambers can go to any pressure they can go to superficial chamber pressures and they can go to deep pressures what 's most important, I think, is knowing what Is treated or what the difference in treatments is depending on the pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, We think of neurologic pressures, so brain and spinal cord related pressures being somewhere between 1.3 and Mm 2.0. And we think of things outside the central nervous system, soft tissue, um, and uh, sort of overall health outside of the central nervous system at 2.0 and greater in general. Now, from a detoxification Lymphatic perspective, you can get benefits at both the 1.3 to 2.0 along with the 2.0 or greater. And from a stem cell release perspective, the further down you go, the deeper you go, the more stem cells that are released. So the indications fall into those two basic categories of neurologic versus non neurologic conditions. Although you can modulate the soft chambers to help you with some non neurologic conditions as well. You are getting more oxygen in circulation, right? So you are getting the ability to enhance your flow of oxygen to tissues, regardless of the chamber and regardless of the pressure, actually, um, although some pressure is needed. Um, And then you are helping with detoxification as well, no matter what pressures you're using.
1: But it's more optimal at the the higher pressures. So... so for neuro so for brain injury like um you know my story with my mum, um 1.5 was what you know we were recommended is an ideal uh pressure for for brain injury so so you're saying the neurological problems that people have uh, are actually better at the lower or the uh the lesser pressures i should say and the lesser pressures for for things like um um, diabetic wounds or um, healing injuries, uh, burns, that type of thing, a higher pressure would be more beneficial. But all hyperbaric will help with detoxification and with lymph and and speeding up the heal- healing po- properties. The stem cell yeah. release, is that higher when it's a deeper uh, pressure or a higher pressure?
2: Yes. The, the deeper you go, the more stem cells are released. Because wow. it's, it's related to how much oxygen is being infused. The more oxygen infused, the more stem cells get released. It's a, it's kind of a, it's kind of, it's a direct relationship.
1: So do you know the um so I, I remember from the last podcast you were saying you know up to twelve times the amount of oxygen can be taken up into the body um, is that so at, at say three atmospheres that'll be twelve times and at at one and a half atmospheres that would be i don't know somewhere in the vicinity of six seven times the amount of um, uh, oxygen that's diffusing now the, the the difference with uh hyperbaric is it's actually You know, like people say, well, you know, I put an SBO2 on my little thing on my finger and it says I'm 98%. I'm saturated with oxygen at the level. How do I get more oxygen in? So, what is the different mechanism between normobaric uh, pressure and hyperbaric pressure?
2: Yeah, it's a question I get a lot, Lisa, and I'm sure you, you get it a lot too. So, a pulse oximeter is something you put in your finger and that measures the arterial. Oxygen saturation of your red blood cells. So your red blood cells are what typically carry oxygen from your lungs when you take a deep breath. And after going out of your lungs, they go through the rest of your body and they release oxygen so that you can make energy. Without oxygen, you cannot make ATP, which is the energy energy currency of, of our body. And so you're right, our red blood cell carrying capacity for oxygen at sea level is actually quite good. That's when you put a pulse ox machine on your finger, you get 97 to 100% if you have normal lungs. So hyperbaric therapy is going to saturate any more sites on the red blood cells where they can carry oxygen. If there's like 97% sites already occupied, those extra 3% will be occupied. But what's actually happening, and the power of hyperbaric oxygen therapy, is its ability to change this gaseous form of oxygen into a liquid form that actually diffuses directly into the plasma or the liquid of our blood. And the liquid of our blood has very little oxygen in it at sea level. And we can diffuse up to 12 times or actually even more than that at deeper pressures than 3ATA, oxygen in circulation. And it's that extra oxygen you cannot get without having also been under pressure at the same time as getting more oxygen as well.
1: So then, this is really powerful when it comes to say injuries where uh, there's been a, a blockage to the blood supply to a certain area. Say that whether that's from a heart attack or a stroke, or you know, um, yeah. or even uh, as I presume with uh, crush injuries and, st- and things like this, where you are not able to get because the vessels are blocked in some way, that you can actually perfuse the area around the the injury with oxygen despite it not going through the blood vessels. Is that, is that a correct way of explaining it? Or you know, The way I like
2: to think about it is that you have all this oxygen that's now in circulation. And it's kind of like oxygen, just like osmosis, will go to the area where there's less of it. So the more oxygen you have in a blood vessel, the more of that oxygen is going to get into the tissue around the blood vessel. So you don't have to have as much vascular density, potentially, to get oxygen to that tissue because you've now diffused so much oxygen inside of that tissue bed itself that it could potentially uh, factor as a way of saving tissue in the acute setting. So like you said, like the acute ischemias, the acute hypoxias or low oxygen states that happen with a heart attack where you have a lack of a blood flow in a coronary artery or a stroke when you have lack of a blood flow in an artery in the brain or a spinal cord injury when you have arteries that are actually broken, you can actually... Get more oxygen to that tissue because you can diffuse more into the tissue bed around the injured blood vessel. And what's also good is that when you have an acute injury, there's also going to be a lot of swelling and and actually injury to vessels that are going to cause leakage of that fluid and, and swelling. And actually, in the chamber, you actually constrict down blood vessels a little bit. And that constriction actually helps you and prevents some of that fluid from releasing and for some of that swelling to happen. Even though you have this constriction of the blood vessel, you've also net had a significant delivery of oxygen to that tissue regardless because you've had all that oxygen diffused into the plasma. So um, oxygen carrying capacity in normal settings without pressure is only dependent on how many red blood cells you have. Mm -hmm. But in a chamber, where pressurizing your body, pressurizing your breath or your whole body really. But when you take a deep breath, that pressurized oxygen... Is driven into the plasma or your liquid of the blood, and that liquid of your of your blood, it can go much further and diffuse much further into tissues outside of blood vessels as well.
1: So, for for an example, with um, you know my mum's story with the aneurysm, if I had managed, and of course at this stage I didn't know anything about hyperbaric when this first happened, but if I'd been able to get her into a chamber immediately after the the event occurred, because uh, the, the inflammation obviously with the blood blood and brain tissue mixing mm-hmm. it causes massive mm-hmm. inflammation in the skull and in, mm-hmm. in the brain, um, that would have been hugely beneficial, wouldn't it? If I'd, if I'd managed to get her in a few times immediately after the event.
2: After she was stable, yes. After she, yeah, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah, and, so after and, and, being stable. So I have some people, I just like to be very clear, you should go to a hospital if yeah. you have a stroke or you have a heart attack and don't go to your local hyperbaric provider. Um, once you're stabilized... Yes, Um, there are some indications that the sooner you can get treated in a chamber, the more oxygen you can get to your brain to a certain degree. I mean, not huge amounts. You don't want to go down to three atmospheres because that could be dangerous for your brain. But oxygen to your brain, oxygen to your heart after an acute event is going to save tissue in your brain and save tissue in your heart. And they've even done studies looking at people that are getting bypass procedures. Coronary bypass procedures, and if they're doing this, they get into a hyperbaric chamber right before. Um, they save tissue in their heart, wow. so they they have more heart function. They have better neurologic function after a coronary artery bypass grafting procedure.
1: Wow! So, uh, so Dr. Scott, like, why is there any place in the world where this is offered in the ICU? You know, in the acute setting where people are coming in with major, you know, injuries or strokes or heart attacks or this type of thing where it's actually used as a part of the therapy? And if not, why not? Why is it not everywhere?
2: Well, to do acute care hyperbaric therapy, it takes very specialized capability. Because if you're going to be in there with attendance or you have IVs going and you have other drugs you need to give, it's it's definitely a specialized service. Um, In Japan, China, and Russia, it's used much more in the acute setting than it is in the United States.
1: Wow. In
2: the US, it has, and it still is used for acute trauma. So if you have like a traumatic ischemia, like you have a traumatic injury to one of your soft tissue areas, for example, it can be used. Um, but in general, um, it's not used as often in the trauma setting in the, in the US as it is in other countries, yeah, especially and- China, Russia and Japan.
1: Right. Okay, and it's not it's not used here either, and it's it's not even approved. Is it on the in America? Is it an approved treatment for um, neurological events?
2: There's no neurologic indication that's covered right now in the United States.
1: Wow. Okay. Zero. Yeah. Even though it is, we're hoping
2: to change that. I mean, the one that has had the most, I think, research behind it and the most interest is traumatic brain injury and concussion. There is definitely some good studies from across the world and the US showing how hyperbaric therapy can help people recover from concussion and traumatic brain injuries, which is another name for concussion really, either in the short term and like from an acute concussion or even from the long-term symptoms that may not go away.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're talking about like there's different things here that are going on. You've got, uh, it's attacking the inflammation, it's producing more stem cells it's uh it's also knocking off senescent cells, isn't it, which are your old cells that are not doing much of anything except causing inflammation Zombies. in the body?
2: Yeah, they're called the zombie cells, right? so um the way I like to think about hyperbaric therapy is is relatively simply there's four things that we do in the chamber. The first thing we do is we reverse hypoxia we, we've been already talking about that. we reverse <clears throat> low oxygen states by getting more oxygen into circulation. And over the long term, a protocol of hyperbaric therapy can create new blood vessels in those areas that have been injured or inflamed and then maintain the ability to get blood flow to that tissue over the long term. So that's the first thing, reversing hypoxia. The second thing is decreasing inflammation. It does that immediately by constricting down those blood vessels like we talked about, but also over the long term, it has the ability to shift our epigenetics, change how our body, our DNA expresses certain proteins that are responsible for inflammation. Things like TNF-alpha, IL-1, IL-6, IL-8, and others. The third thing it does is releases a massive number of stem cells. Those stem cells are released throughout the body and they hone or they go to areas where there is more inflammation or there's more need for stem cells to go to those areas and regenerate them. The next thing that happens is that there is, especially in higher oxygen environments, we have the ability to kill bugs, kill bacteria, fungus, and potentially even viruses at deeper pressures in the chamber. So senescent cell populations look like they do get decreased or they do go down. We're not exactly sure how that's happening. We don't know if that's happening because those cells are being regenerated or if those cells are being killed off. And either way is good for the body, really, because when they stick around and they're not replicating and they are they have a high association with cancer, with degenerative disease, with, with aging overall. So senescent cells aren't cool in general. So we want those to go away. Uh, we don't know if that's because new stem cells are coming and just the other ones are dying or if we're now getting more oxygen to the tissue and so those cells are getting enough oxygen to regenerate their mitochondria and start making energy more effectively which is where we make energy in our cells. We're not sure.
1: So the senescent cells are basically cells that have past their use by date really and they're not doing much of anything except causing trouble in the body, causing inflammation, causing changes perhaps even uh, and causing cancers and, and so on. Um, so mm-hmm. it's really good to be Getting rid of those, you mentioned the um, IL six. Now IL six from from memory is one of the ones that they're talking about in the COVID uh, scenario. Uh, that that's mm-hmm. so interleukin six is. Can you explain? Um, I mean, obviously we don't know whether it's good for COVID, um, but is this potentially something that if someone has uh, the coronavirus that they can potentially look at doing to stop the cytokine storm that's actually killing the people at the moment? Well,
2: we're actually looking into it now. I have several colleagues around the United States that are starting with clinical studies to look at how hyperbaric therapy can work on two fronts. It can work as a way to get more oxygen to the system as we've been describing it because one of the things that's happening in COVID patients is that they're getting very, very hypoxic. They're getting very low oxygen levels. And we think this has to something to do with destruction of the red blood cells or the the inability of red blood cells to carry oxygen as effectively. So again, we can bypass that by being in a chamber like I am right now and pressurizing around you. And then as a result of that pressurization, I'm getting more oxygen in circulation regardless of how many red blood cells I have working or not, how many hemoglobin molecules I have working or not. So that's one area that we're looking at is how hyperbaric therapy can work. The other area that we're looking at is, is as, as an anti-inflammatory. So it does have the ability to downregulate those inflammatory cytokines, one of them being IL-6. So maybe helping with that cytokine storm at the same time. We also know from other studies over the years that hyperbaric therapy is an immunomodulator. It helps the immune system function better. Um, so we think in the early part of the process, maybe of COVID-19, we don't know yet, For sure, but it may help support the immune system and allow it to sort of weather the storm better as opposed to not weathering it as well. So it's a lot of conjecture right now, Lisa. You know, we don't know for sure how it works or if it's going to work, but there are definitely some of my colleagues around the US and around the world that are looking at how hyperbaric therapy might be a helpful adjunct to conventional care maybe prevent people from getting intubated or being on ventilators, which would be a great thing. And so they're looking at that <clears throat> as another avenue. And they're also looking at pressurizing the hoods. The hoods that you wear in a hyperbaric chamber as a way to get more oxygen into the system without being in a hyperbaric chamber as yeah. well. So yeah, I've posted a little bit about this on my Instagram oh. because I, I just find these really intriguing. There is actually one company that's looking to retrofit airplanes. Airplanes are usually pressurized at 8,000 feet above sea level. Wow. So they're actually hypoxic environments. There's lower oxygen on an, on an airplane that you're breathing as opposed to being at sea level. Wow! But what they can do is that they can reverse their pressurization and actually pressurize it like a hyperbaric environment. Now, you couldn't fly with a plane like this because it would be too heavy, but you can keep it on the ground and, and make it a hyperbaric chamber. And you know those oxygen masks that come from the ceiling already, right? So they could use those oxygen masks as a way to get more oxygen into circulation. So this is just one of those sort of crazy ideas, but it's a really interesting idea where you can actually retrofit airplanes to be hyperbaric chambers.
1: Wow! Because I mean that's one of the reasons we get jet lag, isn't it? Because we're 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 at this um, you know equivalent of well, yeah, eight thousand feet or two thousand five hundred meters. Um, Right. And so we're just, we, we're actually you know coming out like with a bit of an altitude situation where you have actually not got enough oxygen, and that's adding to the fact that you've been traveling for however many hours and sitting still and not oxygenating anyway. Right.
2: There's there's the circadian rhythm piece of it, but you are at low oxygen levels and you are at higher risk for jet lag and infection too. So that's why you have a higher risk for infection when you fly. Not so much because of the sanitation on the plane, although you know the air itself on a plane isn't the cleanest. Yeah. And I, I'm hoping that one of the things that happens with this whole COVID thing is that the air on planes becomes cleaner than it is yes. now, that more is coming from the outside of the plane and be less being recirculated. But in, in in essence, the low oxygen environment is is definitely not helping from your health perspective. And like the Dreamliners, some of the newer planes are pressurized to 6,000 feet above sea instead of the 8,000 because it helps with jet lag. And you add on circadian rhythm changes or helping urge on your circadian rhythms to be in the, the time zone you're going on, it's going to help significantly. And that's what new planes are trying to do. And that's what new health, hotel, new hotel rooms are also trying to do as well. New hotel rooms with new lighting and things like that that are happening, which is super cool. But in essence, yes, I've, the airplane itself is a hypo, H-Y-P-O, barrack environment. And we can make it and retrofit it to be a hyperbaric environment as well, which... So if you have any extra seven thirty sevens hanging around <laughs> let me know and we can work on it.
1: We can go and, we can go and retrofit them together. That sounds really good.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Because it is. I mean, you know, flying is one of a really big danger to our health and we've I mean we've we've seen the effects of, of COVID going through airplanes and, you know, all that sort of um problem. Um I just wanted to to, to touch on a couple of areas. Um angiogenesis Can you explain what angiogenesis is and and, and what is actually happening there in regards to hyperbaric?
2: Yeah, so angiogenesis is the creation of new blood vessels. And in a hyperbaric chamber, that acute infusion of, of oxygen is going to flood the body with more oxygen, but it's not going to create new blood vessels. What happens after a protocol of hyperbaric therapy is that we have these epigenetic shifts. We have these shifts in expression of DNA And that DNA expression is shifted in a way that more blood vessels are created because of some of the various factors that are released under pressure and under high oxygen conditions. Those are things like VEGF, which is a very common blood vascular growth factor, and others. And we have these new blood vessels that form, and they tend to form in areas where there is hypoxic tissue or there is low oxygen in tissue. They tend to form in areas where there have been injuries in the past and so these new blood vessels which are created allow the sustainability of the results and the effects of hyperbaric therapy to be a longer term play
1: so if you have a heart problem say so you have to have, you know you've got a blockage in one of your your arteries um is this mm. a possible way to get around that blockage without surgery or in conjunction with surgery over the longer term so talking, like we're talking enough sessions here
2: so we're talking about collateralization of blood vessels, which, which what I mean by that is that that's the medical term of you basically create collaterals around blockages. And that's what a bypass is, right? A bypass procedure is creating ways to go around blockages. It's like it's like going off the on-ramp and taking the service road like around traffic uh, that's stopped and then going back on the service road back onto the freeway after the traffic is over kind of deal. That's a good way to describe what a collateral would be, like a collateral road. And so hyperbaric therapy can help you create those. And we don't know about the heart specifically, though, because we haven't done the studies to know. But we do know from the studies that have been done that there is an increase in vascular density in the heart. There's an increase in vascular density in the brain after a protocol of hyperbaric therapy. And so as a result of that, you will have the ability to get more oxygen to tissue because... You have more density of blood vessels. Now, we haven't done the study looking at people with blocked blood vessels to see what happens under hyperbaric conditions. It just hasn't happened. But the conjecture that we have is that it would potentially help with that collateralization, those off-roads, service road kinds of ideas.
1: Going around things. I I heard... um... That there is an interesting one for the men out there. Um, erectile dysfunction can be helped with hyperbaric oxygen therapy, creating new new uh, blood, you know, angiogenesis for for that sort of a problem. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, it's the same deal. I mean, the, the physiology of hyperbaric therapy it goes everywhere. It, your your full body is oxygenated, so decreasing inflammation, reversing hypoxia, stem cell release, and killing bugs happens anywhere and that includes regenerating blood vessels in in a penis or in uh, in areas around the heart or in areas that have degenerated otherwise and so they did a study looking at erectile dysfunction in males that were relatively healthy and their erectile function improved after i think it was 60 60 hyperbaric chamber treatments and so that's new blood vessels that are getting created new blood vessel flow vascular flow in the penis and so we have indications it happens in women as well with with vaginal flow, but we don't have the studies to show that wow. but I often will get the uh, the feedback from women and men that sex life is better in in hyperbaric in people that have gotten hyperbaric therapy and so our studies on yeah <laughs> well i there are some studies on infertility already uh in helping with fertility because it helps getting a, a deeper pressure helps with the uterine lining. The uterine lining itself will, um, will get thicker under hyperbaric conditions, we think. And then as a result of that, there's a higher chance for the embryo, the embryo to be implanted. And wow. so if you have uh, a thinner uterine lining, you can thicken it up potentially in the chamber. So this is used already in Russia and in China as a fertility treatment, actually quite commonly. In the the West, in the US, it's not very common.
1: No, I haven't well, come more that one. You know, I've, yeah, we're coming.
2: I've more had interested. troubles
1: with uh, fertility for years, um, and um, I'm going to get in there even more often now. It's <laughs> another reason well, to give it a go. Just,
2: just to be clear, though, this is at the deeper pressures.
1: Oh, that okay. they've
2: shown effects. So this is at like two atmospheres or two point four atmospheres. The
1: one point five won't won't quite cut it for so that that sort of a problem. Oh yeah, it, it probably can't hurt, can it? I don't think it
2: would hurt, no. I mean, th- but there are certain things that I don't recommend going at less pressure. Uh, and that I'm pretty emphatic about. So the things that I don't feel are likely well treated at 1.3 are any open wounds. Any open wounds really need to be treated at deeper pressures. Mm-hmm. If you have any ongoing infections, I don't feel for the most part that 1.3 atmospheres is enough to really see a significant benefit, unless it's an, a bug that does not like oxygen environments. And then in that case, maybe, but the deeper pressures would likely still be better. Yeah. If you have any chemical sensitivities, these chambers can sometimes make them worse because they're made out of a plastic material. And that plastic material uh, does off-gas to some degree. And I do find that some of my patients that are highly sensitive to plastics and to chemicals um, will not feel good in these kinds of chambers either. If you have any of the FDA-approved conditions in my country, I don't recommend using a soft chamber either. Those should be done in deep pressures. The only approved indication for these chambers, the soft chambers, uh, that's insurance covered in in the US, is acute mountain sickness. Uh, So you go up a mountain too fast, you get signs of, of altitude sickness, you can get into one of these chambers and you can feel better pretty quickly and that's you know one of the reasons why i have some interest in oh there has been interest in covid-19 specifically because they're thinking that some of the physiology is similar to altitude sickness wow. how people are how responding to to the virus
1: so so, so most of those um so, so only the only thing that a mild hyperbaric is approved for is is mountain sickness even though there that's are right. benefits um from from right. a, yeah okay so there that, are that, studies
2: to to show that these pressures can be beneficial for brain related conditions yes
1: yeah, yeah um that's interesting so so oxid oxidative stress was the next thing i wanted to touch on so so when we think of oxidative stress we think that that's a negative thing generally you know that we should we need to get rid of the the oxidants in our body and we need antioxidants and we need to detox and so on so why is in this case oxidative stress not a bad thing what what is it is is it an oxidative stress
2: well there's a lot of things in life that are good for us that are oxidative stress one of the most common hopefully is exercise exercise creates inflammation and oxidative stress and the body responds with the ability to produce antioxidants. And then as a result of those antioxidants being released, the body has a way of compensating and then growing stronger. And that's what's happening inside the hyperbaric chamber. Every single thing that's happening almost in a hyperbaric environment is because of oxidative stress. The only thing that's not as a result of oxidative stress is purely the oxygen infusion that's getting more oxygen to the cells, and that's allowing more energy to, to be produced. But everything else, of course, that's very important, but everything else, the oxidative stress causes those epigenetic changes that are happening on the DNA. It causes that stem cell release. It causes that inflammatory downregulation. It causes those that vasoconstriction, that constriction of blood vessels that can be injured during an acute event. So it's oxidative stress that initially spurs the system to have a catalysmic catalysmic. That sounds almost like like a yeah. catastrophe. Yeah, I sure. mean it, like, yeah, basically you know it's a huge catalyst for change. Um, Catalysmic and catalyst are not the same word. <laughs> um, but a, a huge catalyst for change. But what happens is that the body, just like with exercise, has a, a significant ability to have a reactive antioxidant surge, and that antioxidant surge happens and equates or balances out all that oxidative stress or the oxidative stress that we gave the body initially. So it's important for me when I'm thinking about hyperbaric protocols, I think about the person in front of me, I think, is this person somebody that has the ability to have a rea- the reactive antioxidant surge to balance out that oxidative stress? Because if you're not healthy, if you are sick, if you're inflamed, if you have lots of chronic conditions, you may de- be depleted in various things that could make it difficult for you to do this, and that's why I'm very emphatic when I can and when there's time to consider a foundational assessment of cellular health, looking at vitamins, minerals, nutrients, antioxidant levels, looking at signs of gut dysbiosis and immune system function to understand how well somebody's going to do in the chamber before they get in.
1: So that that's a perfect segue because I wanted to go into. Um... The whole foundational health uh and 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 also adjunctive therapies to hyperbaric um so let's start with a couple of things like um you know like taking things like vitamin c infusions before going into hyperbaric uh doing the keto diet or- exogenous ketones in combination with hyperbaric um and and then looking as the next step in the conversation into the foundational things which really need to be addressed as well. Um, so yeah, let's start with adjunctive therapies that will benefit from uh, hyperbaric in combination. Sure.
2: So, yeah, it's a good segue. I feel before getting into adjunctives, it's important, I think, to describe that adjunctive therapies can definitely synergize together. But it's really important, I feel, to have a good sense of your own foundational biology before you start stacking therapies on top of each other because synergistic tools that are both potentially oxidative like IV vitamin C and hyperbaric therapy can be very helpful however, if you don't have the capacity to physiologically benefit from it or potentially have side effects as a result of the too much oxidative stress it can be detrimental so when I think about stacking therapies I often Try to take it a step back and say, okay, let's look at that foundational assessment first, like your vitamins, your minerals, your nutrients, your antioxidant levels. And that's through a program that I have, that I, uh, that I work with called Health Optimization Medicine, which yes. is founded by a colleague of mine named Dr. Ted Ochocoso. And I work as the CEO of our nonprofit that's educating doctors on how to do this. And I also have my own clinic, concierge virtual clinic, really, in the Bay Area in San Francisco. Uh, working with clients across the US, across the world. So once I've done that, once I've looked at that foundational biology, then I think about therapies that can stack on top of hyperbarics or with it. One of the things that I think about is low-level light ther- therapy, low-level light technologies. Wow. Because lights have the ability to get more oxygen to tissue by dilating the blood vessels in that area. And so if you're dilating various blood vessels in an area you can then get more oxygen to that area. So that's one way for some specific spectrums of light to help. Um, infrared light is also really good for detoxification. So I often combine hyperbaric therapy with detoxification strategies, and one of them being infrared light. I think about pulse electromagnetic field technologies. Wow, Those are microcirculatory pulses of electromagnetic fields that can help with circulation. And then increasing circulation is going to help you benefit in a hyperbaric chamber as well because you're getting more tissue oxygenated because there's more tissue that's dilated in blood vessels. And so we can help there. I also think about using various technologies inside of a hyperbaric chamber if you're in a soft one like this one, because then now you can bring in things that are portable and then you can do brain training like neurofeedback, for example. Wow. Um, and you can do other types of brain training using computers or you know, like iPads or whatever doing certain things to sort of work on your multitasking capabilities and, and the like. And you can do a lot of other different things, but those are some of the things that come to mind.
1: Wow, this is like really getting into the whole you know, optimizing and in, in high performance and being able to, mm-hmm. to, to stack the different biohacks, if you like, and the different things on top of each other. I'm very interested in mm-hmm. the uh, infrared light therapy and um, have some of the products from ViLight. Um, again, something that I've used in
0: conjunction with uh, For Mums uh, Rehab. Just interrupting the show to let you know about my longevity and anti-aging supplement range. I'd love you to go and check it out. Go to my website, lisatarmity.com, and hit the shop button, and you'll see a curated range of supplements, the latest in anti-aging, longevity, health optimization, performance optimization. I've gone out into the world, interviewed the most amazing doctors and scientists, as you'll know if you follow the show, and gone and got some of the best products that are out there, stuff that I give to my family, that's what's in my range so go and check it out at com. i'm very interested in the the pemf i haven't had a chance to to go down that
1: route but very keen It's just cost prohibitive to have that at home unfortunately um sure. so there are so there are so many um, amazing things in the biohacking world if you like where we can actually uh start to look and with with relatively low risk um The light therapy um, is an interesting one. Also the detrimental effects of like blue light, you know, coming from our computer screens, Mm -hmm. stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and and that's, um, you know, probably a a topic for another day. But what I did wanted to go into is is your work with Dr. Ted Achikoto, who I would love to get on the show as well. (laughs) He's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So Dr. Ted uh, is from the Philippines and he has a – uh, he has health optimization medicine. And so you are the CEO of that company. Can you tell us, like Dr. Ted has created his own whole, it, it, what would you call it, a system of looking at, so metabolomics, the holobiont, can you explain what the heck those are? Because I'm sure nobody listening to this podcast would have come ac- across those terms yet. Um, sure, really interesting. sure, no
2: problem. Yeah. So Dr. Ted's an anti-aging doctor. He he specialized in anti-aging medicine and then created his own practice that looked to, I think, take the best of conventional medicine and then the best of what was happening under the radar in conventional medicine, which is called metabolomics, which is the field of study that we look at real-time cellular metabolites or the real-time factors that are making our cells work. And we can measure all of this. This is something that I didn't know when I was in medical school that you can actually do, but you can actually measure all these various factors and understand how the body is making energy, how the body is processing your various foods into like from macronutrients all the way down to micronutrients, understanding how you can measure antioxidant levels. And so you can do all this. And so what Ted developed was a way to do this sort of like in the 80-20 framework, which is 80% of the benefit for 20% of the testing and focusing that testing on health and not focusing on any specific disease or condition and setting that aside for the moment and and just doing um, more testing related to health and health focus. And so uh, the program itself has seven pillars, but they all comprise what's called the Holobion, holobiont. And this is the idea that we are not just an individual in a population. But we're actually a population of organisms or individuals, uh, together in ourselves, in it of ourselves. So we are made up of fungus, virus, bacteria, human. And then we're also made up of the, the metabolites or the, the production, the toxins and the other things that are in the environment. That's all happening all on our cellular level that we can see. So the idea is to create. A program for people that uses all of that data that we can measure, and understanding where it's coming from, and then how to optimize and balance. So the first pillar is metabolomics, which is looking at the cellular data. Another one is epigenetics, so looking how our environment and how our exposures overall change how our epigenetics are are expressed or how our DNA is expressed through epigenetics. So looking at chronobiology or circadian rhythms and how light especially affects our circadian rhythms, looking at the gut immune system. So that's our gut microbiota. And in detail, how our gut is a very significant indicator of our overall health and our immune health and neurologic and psychological health are all related to our gut, just on some level. Looking at evolutionary biology. So the idea is that we have trade-offs in our evolution that some certain traits will help us when we're younger, but actually be a detriment to us when we're older. And also how our evolutionary biology is related to our ancestry. So where our ancestry is will also indicate where we should potentially best focus our diet and, our, and, the, and how we change it depending on seasons, etc. And so there is also the bioenergetics pillar, which is related to energy production at a cellular level. And that's mostly our mitochondria as well, where we're making energy. And exposomics, which is the study of toxins, the toxins in our environment. But in essence, this is what we call our holobiont. And we can use about 500 or so data me- measures to look at measures of all of these things and then create programs for our clients using those metrics and these pillars to really optimize health over the long term. That's the idea.
1: Wow. So this is, this is, this is insane and, and, and something that I'm hoping to study in the, in the future once I get through the next lot of study. <laughs> it just seems to be one. While little... you're in
2: your chamber, you can study.
1: <laughs> I do. I was yesterday sitting in there listening to all your lectures and, 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 preparing for today's podcast. It's a brilliant way to do it. And there just seems so much to learn. Um, and I'm very interested, uh, in Dr. Ted's work and, and, um, you know, coming to come into grips with that. Uh, um, you know, like we 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 do something in our company, you know, epigenetic testing with uh, Dr. Alberto Garoli's work, and we're finding that absolutely, you know, uh, fascinating. Now adding in the functional genomics into that with Dr. Mm. Mansour Mohammed's work, uh, mm. it just gives another lens and another lens to be able to look through. And, and the microbiome is an is a is an area anyway that I think you know, um, you can't have one without the other. And, and I just wish there was more hours in a day to to get this information. Yeah. There, basically. It's a
2: network, Lisa. I think that's what you're going at, right? It's a network effect. Our yes. body doesn't work in silos. You no. don't just have a heart. You just don't have a brain. You don't just have a gut. They all work together. It's this beautiful symphony of bacteria, virus cells, humans, human cells, mitochondria, which can be classified potentially as bacteria cells as well, probably back in the day, became or came from bacteria that combined with another type of cell that didn't have oxygen capabilities. And that's our cell. We have all these things working together. We have hormones working together. We have chemical factors called cytokines working together um, from a distance. Nothing has to be right next to each other to get there. We have blood vessels, we have lymphatics, we have nerves and other different types of channels to get things to where they need to go with neurotransmitters. And so it's very difficult to just boil it down to just a couple things. I think where the future is going, there's a great article that I loved. It it was actually, I think, published about six months ago. It was at it was actually published at Stanford, and they called it the the narcissome, like narcissistic, right? The idea that you know everything about yourself. You know your genes, you'll know your genomics, your proteomics, which are the the proteins get transcribed from genes. You'll know your epigenomics, you'll know your metabolomics, and you will be able to use all this data to create a personalized understanding of you, your risk factors, but also what's actually happening to you right now, and getting ideas of what you need to do now so that you can optimize over the long term. The the problem with just looking at genomics is that it gives you risks of what you may have, but it doesn't tell you actually what's happening. That's what metabolomics does. And so the narcisome is the idea of you have Access to all this information and access to the data that's being studied as a result of this information too. So, anyway, I think we're all going to have those in our pocketbooks at some point in the next.
1: Exactly, it'll be some, on some platform. odd years. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's a fascinating to be able to have all of that and to be able yeah. to look through these different lenses and to look at the person as a whole. And I think that's where um, you know, allopathic medicine has had its limitations in that every specialty is very siloed. Uh, and in and, and not necessarily communicating with the, you know, you have your general practice, but mm-hmm. it, it's still too siloed, and the brain doesn't work independently of the knee and the, you know, whatever the case may be, um, and everything right. is is interconnected far more than what we've uh, focused on in in the past. I think well, that would be a fair. Well,
2: because as human beings, we try to simplify things as much as possible, and, mm-hmm. and I, there's very good reasons for that. Um, And I'm not completely against it, but I think it's important that you have certain people that specialize in organs and do the work that they do and be very, very good at it. But it's like not having a primary care doctor and just going to see specialists. If you're just in the conventional world, what's going to happen is that you just get opinions in the very singular lens of that particular organ system. So it doesn't look at the big picture. And then you look outside the conventional system, and you have to think about this larger this larger understanding to really get a good holistic, comprehensive plan i feel of of how to maintain your health over the long term because if you're just looking at i want to optimize my heart function, I want to optimize my my brain function it's like, well, what about your gut you know what about your antioxidant levels, what about your feet? what about your motion in your feet and how that's affecting your back. And there's all these other aspects of things that are important. So I tend to work with people that look at more of a holistic view of movement, holistic view of health, whatever capacity. And I do my best to help people across the world in not only hyperbaric therapy, but helping them understand the best ways to approach their goals from a holistic perspective. And so I do... As I think you remember, like I do, virtual consultations, education, advocacy for hyperbaric therapy across the world, and I love new challenges and ways to people. I mean, I often get the same things over and over again, but I love when new things kind of pop up, and I go, "Oh, that's super interesting!" And then I get to harness the network that I've created across the world to really help people. And a lot of these things can be done remotely now, which is great. Yeah. Uh, which is even even better, given that most of us are stuck in our homes now, anyway, at the moment. Given the whole pandemic thing. Um, I'm stuck in my hyperbaric chamber for a little while longer, which I'm not too sad about, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> and, and, you know, I find this just such a refreshing approach that you, you know, as a doctor, as a medical doctor, an internal doctor who's looked outside of the box, you had on your website somewhere or some somewhere I read, you know, the box was broken long ago and um, you, you no longer confine yourself to one way of thinking or one.
2: There was never a box. For me, Lisa. It was the
1: I, I I, edge. Well,
2: was... <laughs> it was actually I created a box after not having a box, and then I broke it open again. I grew up because I'm the son of a chiropractor who didn't have a box. There was no such thing, and so I created some sides of that box and some, you know, some stingy walls and pretty thin walls when I went to medical school, so I could learn what I needed to learn, and then now use that information and work within that framework when necessary in the conventional framework, but also knowing that they're flimsy and that they're, it's easy to get outside of those walls. And we should, especially if there's time. If there's time to work unconventionally, then work unconventionally. If there isn't time, then work conventionally, but also do unconventional things if you can. And you can do them side by side. And that's one of the things I specialize in too, is understanding that most things in life are not mutually exclusive. And you don't always have time to wait for one or the other. And sometimes you just kind of have to throw the bus at it in a very exactly. methodical way to help. And I know that's what you did with your mom.
1: Yeah. Basically, yeah, a multifaceted chuck everything at, throw the mud at the wall and I hope some of it sticks. And, and it has.
2: <laughs> yeah, throw shit at the wall is like, is the nice way of saying it, or maybe the I not think- so nice way
1: of saying it. And, and um, we try to do
2: that in a methodical way. And, and that's the important thing that I try to emphasize is that there has to be a physiologic reason and they have to be done, at least if it's if it's a recommendation for me, it's have to be done in a methodical way that you kind of understand what's happening and the factors that are at play and not just throwing shit at the wall without a plan of what yeah. shit is going at the wall at what time. And looking at the <laughs>
1: risk reward situation yeah. and making sure that you're not um, and you know for someone like so you know if my nature is is very much a dive in and just have a crack and um, you know I sometimes have to pull myself back and go and hang on a minute the risks are too high here or you know well, you and, are from you know, New Zealand you guys do it like adventure
2: sports so
1: yeah it's really it's you know it's one thing to do it on yourself it's another thing with, with other people <laughs> and, um,
2: yeah
1: um, and being able to I was, understand
2: always, yeah what I was saying is that As a New Zealander, you're you're known for your risk taking. So sometimes you gotta you gotta you gotta bring it back a a notch there.
1: Exactly. Yep. Too much adrenaline. You can see it in my epigenetics. My ring finger is longer than my index finger. I've got too much adrenaline.
2: Nice, nice. <laughs> um,
1: but, you know, like Dr. Dr. Sher, you know, we'll wrap up in a second, but I, I just um, wanted to thank you so much because the advocacy that you're doing, the work, the connections that you're building, the network, you really are the world's cutting edge of, 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 of this new whatever this is that's, that's happening with us is personalized health. Uh, this new paradigm shift, and um, I'm excited to get your message out there. So if any of the listeners sitting out there would like to talk to Dr. Scott, because obviously he's a, a super expert in everything from uh, hyperbaric right through to metabolomics and the holobionts. Um if you would like a virtual uh, consultation with Dr. S- Dr. Shear, where can they go, doctor?
2: So for my consultation work, my education and advocacy work, I do it all through my, my website. It's integrativehbot.com.
1: IntegrativeHCOT.com. Okay. Yeah. And then if you could also just connect with me
2: on Instagram too, at Dr. Scott DrScottScher, S-C-O-T-T-S-H-E-R-R. And I also, we can set some, things up through that as well, if people have interest. I've been looking to post more and get more out there for people. And I know I've been doing podcasts for a while, but I feel like smaller little bits of information are helpful too, given the attention deficits of yes. our current state of affairs. So I have this like funny airplane pillow around my neck there. That's better. Okay. Um, So it was nice when I was in the other position. Um, But so those are the two major places that I do my education, advocacy, and consultation. I also have a new Facebook group actually that Uh I just set up called Optimize Optimize HBOT with Dr. Scott Scher. And this is a really fun one. I'm looking to have a location where we all can kind of get along in the hyperbaric community. They have like the hard chamber advocates and the soft chamber advocates. And you have people that know a lot about hyperbaric therapy and that know very little. And my hope is to create a platform where we can kind of all come together. And I'm going to be creating content and curating content with a team of people to hopefully bring, I think, I hope the community together a little bit more and bring more information out there. So that's a new, that's a new one that I've just come out with.
1: I, and I'm definitely I, count me in me and I'm definitely an advocate for all of this and um want to share you know um I've just sent you actually a copy of my book I don't know if it'll get through in the COVID situation but I really want uh this story to get out because yeah for sure yeah it's important that people
2: hear that story your story yeah
1: and that's like 250 and counting hyperbaric sessions so far
2: (laughs) it's amazing what what you and your mom have done it's really beautiful
1: It is really beautiful. So, Dr. Scott, thank you so much. I'll put all those links for everybody in the show notes today. I really appreciate your time. Um, It's very, very precious to me, and I really, really, you know, I'm grateful for you uh, doing all this work. So thank you very much, Dr. Scott.
2: And you, Lisa. Thanks for all your hard work and your advocacy. And it's been my pleasure to be on your podcast, my first one in the hyperbaric chamber
0: going to ask if you don't mind doing a survey for me. I've got a survey running at the moment where we're trying to get our listeners to head over to lisatamati.com forward slash survey. So lisatamati.com forward slash survey. Fill out a few questions, Um, it's anonymous, it's just about us collecting some information on what you want to hear, what you like about the show, um, some questions around health and what you are interested in and all that sort of good stuff. So really, really appreciate you taking the time to do that.
2: That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends. Head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatamati.com.